Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And today, more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. Joining me today is Martin Whitaker, CEO of Just Capital, and this is his fourth time on the show. I am absolutely mesmerized by Just Capital because they're a not-for-profit, and their mission is to equip the market with the data, tools, and insights to deliver on the promise of stakeholder capitalism and an economy that works for all Americans. This is a conversation that everyone needs to listen to. Because social issues are so in the news today, voter suppression, um, a livable wage, racial justice, gender equity, mental health, gun control, through over 100,000 surveys with the American public, the American public says that they want companies to be just. And it's not just in words, it is in actions. And so my conversation with Martin today really dives deep into what is a CEO and a C-suite to do? Where do you place your bets? What do you do beyond talking? What is the walking look like? So there's a lot of great things in this interview. Don't miss it. Join us. Martin, this is your fourth time on the show. So welcome. Thanks, Carol. I bet you say that to all the guests. No, I don't. That, that's not true. You you are my <laughs> fa- <laughs> you are my favorite guest. And well, just, very kind, uh, very kind. Yeah, You're my the, favorite podcast host. Okay, oh, okay, I'll take that one. Well, we actually you've named us one of the top podcasts to listen to, so we we actually utilize that. So thank you, um, Martin. Joined the show for the first time on July. Uh, 31st in 2019. And he then came back a couple times in 2020. And since Just Capital is just advancing so comprehensively with all of its its data and research and insights and thought leadership, I just said it's time to have Martin back. So welcome, Martin. I am. I'm so thrilled to be here. The work is, uh, you know, you mentioned July 2019. Boy, haven't things changed since then, isn't it? It's just incredible. And I think everything just has been, stands for, and, and you know, it's not only us, we're part of a, a bigger movement um, to kind of use markets and use business and use money and capitalism to try and address our, our sort of most intractable 
problems and also try and create a better future. This is what it's all about. So all of that has become so much more important. And I'm glad that you you just riffed on that because some of our listeners may not be up to speed on Just Capital. So can you just talk a little bit about when you were founded, um, the role of Paul Tudor Jones uh, and your role? Uh, so just a little bit of baselining for yep. those that don't know you, because once they listen to you, they'll want to follow you daily. We're a nonprofit. We were, we were founded seven years ago by a group of you know, relatively high profile folks, but people who really cared about where the country was going and had great faith that business and capitalism and market sort of had to be part of the solution. And uh, that included not just Paul Jones, but Ariana Huffington, Deepak Chopra, Ray Chambers, Ronaldo Brudicos, a whole group of really, mm. I'd say, very passionate founders. And they're, they're all still they're all still with us and they're all still part of the organization. We are now about 40 people. Um, we're New York City based, although obviously last year we've kind of spread out. Uh, our, we're chaired by Paul Tudor Jones um, and we build a really strong network around us, I think, because our mission and the way we operate as a nonprofit is unique. And so um, without sort of getting into too much detail, we, we basically do three things. We survey the American people at great length on all manner of things to really decide, you know, to identify what issues matter and what does a just company actually look like? You know, what does it do? What, what specifically does it mean to you? And that's polling that's done on a fully representative basis all around the country. And you know, you know this, Carol, but we've, we've sort of painted a picture of how Main Street really thinks about corporate America today. So that's that brings the objectivity. So it's not about what issues Martin Whitaker cares about. It's what what issues do uh, does the public uh, care about. Secondly, we then track how the biggest publicly traded companies actually do on those issues. So we gather data. We engage the companies themselves. You know, we we are trying to be very sort of data driven just measuring and putting out there in a fully transparent, objective way exactly how big companies do on all those key issues. And, and so if you wanted to know, you know, who's the best at gender pay equity, mm-hmm. come to Just Capital. You right. want to know which company is donating most of its money, uh, most of its profits to charity, you come to Just Capital. You want to know which is making the most progress on diversity, equity, and inclusion, you come to Just Capital. That's the idea. So that data and information empowers the user to make more informed choices, which is brings me to the third set of things we do is with all of that data and analysis, we sort of do things that help to drive change. We support investment products. We tell stories of leadership. We highlight companies that are doing the right thing and do it, you know, really uh, out in front. And, and we sort of, uh, we're very prominent in the media so we try to do a lot of things that, you know, take all that information and actually, you know, drive change towards a more just, towards a more just economy. So that's, that's really what the organization does. Let's take a break and talk about the numbers. Since 2015, they have polled over 110,000 Americans on their priorities for capitalism. 
They've tracked, analyzed, and ranked 922 companies this year across five stakeholder groups, 29 issues, 88 metrics, and over 400 data points. They've directly engaged over 650 of the largest public U.S. companies on ways to improve their business practices. And over 80% of America's most just companies showcase the just seal in recruiting, marketing, and investor relations contents. But by the way, they don't have to pay for it. They just earn it by their just actions. They have demonstrated the business and investor case really, really important for just business behavior by releasing over 10 just alpha research reports, investigating the correlation between just business behavior and financial performance. They also have some hardcore data. I love this. And anybody listening, if you have a C-suite that is lagging and evolving to more just behavior, throw these stats at them. Just companies had 56% higher total stakeholder returns over the past years. Let me repeat that again. Just companies had 56% higher total stakeholder returns over the past five years. They used 123 more green energy. They had a 7.2% higher return on equity. They emit 86% fewer tons of emissions into the atmosphere. They give six times more to charitable causes. They are 4.7 times more likely to have conducted a gender or race equity pay equity analysis. They pay 18% more to their median workers and are six times more likely to have set diversity targets. That's America's most just companies. And again, I want to read two numbers here that you should take to your C-suite when you're discussing the evolution of your company to stakeholder-based capitalism. Just companies had a 56% higher total shareholder returns over the past five years and had a 7.2% higher return on equity. Just companies are better run. Just companies perform better. Just companies have higher employees. Just companies have a stronger social license to operate in their communities and have happier customers. So why wouldn't you want to be a just company? Let's return to our conversation with Martin. Polled over 110,000 um, Americans over the years, and that's a really large group. Yep. And every year you have the Just 100. And so last October 14, you announced the Just 2021. And so, but that was in the middle of COVID. And so, very curious to hear how how has that ranking changed, if it has or not during COVID and um, who were, I was thrilled to see the leader, but you know, who are some of the leaders and why? Well, you say it's in the middle of COVID. I, let me expand on that a bit. I, I would say it was in the middle of a 
once in a multi-generational period of global tumult. So yes, COVID, but COVID also caused a global economic shutdown. It um, threatened the survival, literally, of millions of people, their jobs, their livelihoods. Um, it also exposed great inequities in society and created a major reckoning with racial inequities. And in particular, you think of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. And so it sort of became, we actually launched the rankings, you know, in, in the middle of a period where, where sort of social issues, let's say, um, were absolutely front and center. And no matter whether you're an investor or a corporate leader or just, you know, an ordinary person like, like me or you, you know, your life was kind of upside down. And um, so trying to make sense of what was just and what wasn't was actually a big challenge for us last year. And we did a lot of survey work to really try and uh, not just identify sort of like what are the baseline issues are, because obviously we've been surveying for multiple years. Uh, we have our sort of core framework, which doesn't really change that much, um, which, I can, which I, I can describe in a moment. Um, but what we, what we asked were very pointed questions about how has COVID changed things? How has, um, how has George Floyd changed things? How has, that, uh, how, how has the economic buzzsaw that we went through changed things? And the answer which may surprise you, was actually not a huge amount. And what I mean by that is people have been telling us for years that how you treated humans mattered. It was the most important thing. So we have five categories of, of sort of stakeholder. We have how a company treats its workers, which has always been the most heavily weighted by any demographic, any economic group, no matter where we go in the country, Carol. So workers, number one. Number two, and then the, the, four, the four others were how a company treats its customers, the communities where it operates, uh, the environment, and then, of course, its shareholders. And is it is an ethically run company? And those basics didn't really change that much. In fact, what we found was, was that going into the pandemic, the companies that were best placed in the just rankings, the companies that were already recognize that investing in their workers and you know paying a living wage and and providing great benefits and health benefits and dependent care benefits all they did better during the pandemic now that's obvious right with hindsight like you, you they're better equipped going into a uh you know a a force 12 hurricane so not surprisingly they did better during that 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 event microsoft was the number one company and that's they've been haven't they been number one for multiple years Two years in the trot, and then before that, Intel led. And, you know, Apple does well. Uh, we've seen strong leadership in J.P. Morgan this year. We saw a lot of other sectors uh, because retail was so prominently hit and very uppermost in, in people's minds. You know, you think about frontline workers and, like, who kept the economy going. It was the folks sort of delivering stuff to your door and keeping the supermarkets open, that kind of stuff. So, so we saw a lot more attention on the worker issue and we actually saw the the weighting of of several issues related to workers increase 
So, yeah, it really provided us a chance to spotlight leadership. In the middle of it all, I don't know if you remember, but we we actually stood up um, a COVID tracker. We were tracking how the top... I followed that daily. It was fascinating. And it was pages. It was six, seven, eight pages. And I think we talked about it on the last podcast, where yeah. we, you know, why we did that and how important it was. And, you know, the whole point with that is, and I mentioned that only because we, we just this week put up a racial equity right. tracker. We want to talk about that. We'll right. do that later. And so yeah. I know we'll come to that. But, but the whole point was, how did people know what companies were doing? You know, like you read all these things about hazard pay and, and companies changing their benefits so that people could take time off if they were sick or take, take time off to look after uh, dependents or, or loved ones or parents, you know, or, you know, and we wanted to just track that so that people would know like, okay, who's doing a good job on that and who's not doing quite so good, you know, a job on that. And who do you believe did your, did your readership um, increase substantially? Did you have, you know, and who was reading it to, to track it? It did. I mean, we saw all of our uh, sort of profile, you know, we, we have a whole bunch of key performance indicators that we track for our marketing, uh, our profile. Our profile is very important to us, not not because we, we want to be, you know, important and we, we sort of get kicks out of it. It's like the more we, <laughs> when more people know about the data, the more people we use the data, the more power, you know, sort of credibility and, and, and powerful we become as an agent of change. Right. So, so we really wanted to try and spread the word as much as we could. We had tons of press coverage, which is great. What was also interesting was a lot of companies were calling us to say, hey, how, how do we get on the list? Like, we want to be featured because we think we're doing good things. Or even better, um, here are the changes we've made, you know, over the last 12 months. Here's, here's what we weren't doing on, on pay. You know, we've lifted pay by whatever, you know, two bucks an hour. That, to us, is sort of a recognition that companies can and should do more. And, and companies, uh, in fact, that are doing more to invest in the stakeholders, you know, we want to celebrate them and lift them up. So that was, that's all in service of the mission. So I'm curious, if a company is not yet on the tracker, you're not following them, but you say the largest. So what is the floor for you to track them? And then very tactically, what do they do? Do they call you up? Do they send you an email? Do you have like an analyst that they get to know? The entire universe of companies that we cover is the Russell 1000. So it's the 1000 biggest publicly traded companies in America. You know, we, we rank those companies whether they like it or not. <laughs> and uh, you've known us from the beginning, right? So right at the start, you know, we had a few companies that said, oh, that's interesting. You're going to poll the public. Okay, I get it. Yeah, that's kind of neat. I'm, I'm not, I don't have the current numbers, but it's incredibly impressive. We've got something like 650 or more companies that we've tracked engaging with us. And that, that tells me we're doing something right. It tells me that this idea of tapping the public for their perspectives is actually really valuable. And companies um, sort of find that really you know, interesting. The other thing it, I think it tells me, anyways, as CEO, is the way we're doing it is important. You know, we're very open, very transparent. We, we, we're not naming and shaming. So we're always trying to, you know, we play the inside game, meaning we, we have a lot of relationships with companies, but it's all, we don't take money from them so we can stay objective. And we're really just trying to sort of, let's say, incentivize 
and and encourage and reward just behavior anyway. So just just to say that off the bat. But going back to your question, the just the ones on the on the COVID tracker were just the biggest employers. So we just decided to pick the the initially the biggest 100, and then I think we added 200 more names. So we got the 300 largest employers, and we picked that as the the criterion because you know if you employ a lot of people, then COVID issues are more relevant to you. So if we, you know, we thought that was important. For the, for, the, for, the, for the racial equity tracker, which we'll talk about in a second, we're basically tracking what companies are doing on a whole range of, of diversity, equity, inclusion metrics. You know, we, we, we're, right now, we're at the 100 largest employers. That's sort of how that's uh, – and, and we just selected them because we felt like that was a good number. You know, I don't mean this to sort of – come across as a sub story, but we're, we're just, we're just a tiny nonprofit with not that many resources. <laughs> People think you have a lot. Yeah. I know. I know. There's only so much we can do. So we, we did all that we could. And though that, that was the coverage we felt like we got good data. It told a great story. And of course we want to expand over time if we get the resources. So very tactically, if a company is large enough and they want to engage with you, what do they do? They call us or they email us. We have a whole corporate engagement team um, which is glorifying it a bit. It's, it's <laughs> you know, three or four wonderful colleagues led by Yusuf George and Liz Kneebone. So we have a corporate engagement, uh, you know, group where, and we've also invested a lot in our, through our tech team, uh, our amazing tech team in, in a, a sort of a, an interface, a corporate portal where we engage companies. Um, they have a, a login password. They, they, they can speak to our analysts oh, or engage with our analysts. So, we're very proactive in reaching out to companies and we're also, and they know where we are now. So there's, there's, there's only a few hundred, to be honest, that haven't engaged with us. I don't know why, maybe they will in the future. Um, what's also interesting, Carol, is we're getting a lot of inbound interest and calls from companies and private equity firms who, who own private companies that we, that, that we don't rank, who say, hey, this is really interesting. How do, how do we do? You know, we're a private company. You don't rank us. We'd like to know how we do on all these things. Right. And you know what? You're, you're a great guest because that's a question I wanted to ask. You know, we work with a lot of private companies and there are very large private companies. And so how are you thinking in the future how they can get into the game or are you going to give them some advice? And I mean, they have, you know, 50,000, 100,000 employees. We would love to. We'd love to. I mean, if I'm okay, I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you a secret. Oh, tell we, us a secret. We have been working on a toolkit for private companies, or or actually any companies that we don't rank, where we could just you know have them use that, and they can upload their own data and they can benchmark themselves. Now, we think it's a great idea. We've done some early work on it. We got some wireframes. We've kind of worked through like what it might look like from a design standpoint. We literally just haven't had the resources uh, to build it out. But I think, you know, we've had a few conversations with some some partners on doing that. But I think it would be tremendously valuable to your point. You know, you don't have to be a big public company to be just. You could be, you could be a hundred person company and not everything applies to you, but you still want to do the right thing. And you still want to know, you know, what are the leaders doing? Like what is Microsoft doing on on sort of employee training. Maybe there's one or two things that we could learn. And, and also the flip side, which is actually fascinating. I'm, I'm a 150 person company, let's say. 
I'm actually doing something really cool on diversity. I, w- I want just to know what I'm doing. So maybe, maybe we can have like a showcase moment where we celebrate a, a small company as part of our work. Oh, I bet you're going to do that. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, your partner, you've got Forbes is a great partner and you also work with Harris. And I, I bet that's coming sooner than later. So um, we look forward well, if to there's it. any big donors listening to this or anybody who's interested in that, please reach out. I, I think that I think it's really important because I think that you're 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 really your trajectory is going so fast now. And I do think that the other companies do want to get into the game. You know, I'd love for you to talk about there. You have a great infographic. Um, that is, I, I think it just came with a new Just 100. And it talks about, I don't know if you know it offhand. It's like, um, it talks about um, the impacts of Just Companies. You know what I'm talking about? It says that Just Companies had a 56% higher total shareholder return yep. over the yep. past five years. Yep. Uh, they, they use 123% more green energy at a 7.2% higher return on equity. I mean, these are powerful current you know, justified numbers. Absolutely. And in fact, I remember the first ever Just 100 launch we did uh, back in, it would probably be 2016, I think, with with Forbes. We were preparing my speech. We had a lot of companies in the room, a lot of donors. In preparing it, we're like, well, wait a second. Let's just see if we can take these 100 companies and, and come up with those numbers. Like, are they, you know, what what is what do the stats tell us about, how many more women are on their boards? You know, what are they doing on pay? And when I read them out, there was like an audible gasp. It was like, oh, wh- this is exactly what we needed because for far too long, as you know, um, we talk about this stuff in sort of, you know, very sort of general terms and, you know, what companies should do. And there's very little hard data on like, okay, what actually is changing? And are we seeing companies that, are better on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are better on fair pay. On better on on being a, a you know engaging the communities where they operate. Do they actually do better in terms of their financials and their accounting numbers? Like, do they? And how much better? Like, what does that look like? So we we're very data driven, as I've said. So that was something we use a lot, and it's all, I pitch I talk about just capital all the time. That is always the slide of the graphic. That that really I think grabs people. Oh, it's and great! I'm actually working on one now, which will release sometime probably in May or June for our major funders. We're kicking off a big fundraising campaign because we've looked back now over five or seven years to say, okay, over that time, what's changed? How much more do we talk about corporate living wage now than we talk about it five years ago? Because when we started, we talked about living wage. No one was talking about living wage, you know, not 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 in terms of corporations. Now it's all the time. So, and how many companies have lifted wages, and who are those people who have been affected by it? So, so there'll be more coming out soon. And again, I'm sure my colleagues will be like, Martin, stop doing that. You're <laughs> promising. <laughs> oh no, no, you're 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 going really fast. Um, there's another huge um, momentum happening with ESG equity funds. Mm. And leaning into being almost mandated disclosure. And, you know, that's another huge data point in terms of shifting uh, stakeholder capitalism. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I've been in the ESG space for over 25 years now and 
I've seen it go through various periods of sort of acceleration. You know, I remember the the uh, environmental, you know, the major oil spills, environmental disasters, which really thrust corporate environmental performance on the map. I remember the first UN uh, environment program conferences on finance. And um, and then, of course, we had a major acceleration with governance issues around WorldCom and Enron. You, you and I remember those. The last 12 to 24 months has been the S's moment in the sun, right? So oh, social issues now are front and center, and they're not going away. They are now, I think, the key drivers of corporate performance going forward. That, that is how shareholder value gets created. So what's happening now, to your point on disclosure, is all the major stakeholders realize that this is not just some sort of fad, or this is not some sort of nice to know, or this is not politics. This is just how companies compete these days. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And we saw that with that recognition by the Business Roundtable two years ago on uh, the redefinition of a corporate of, of a purpose of a corporation. So, what's happening now is is if 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 these issues are becoming more relevant to investors, which they are, you look at the flow of funds into ESG. It's 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 just mind boggling, and it accelerated over COVID. So all that money flowing in from investors, you think about consumer demand and worker uh, awareness. Of these, of, of of the sort of the environmental and social performance of their companies, all of that means we, you know, the market is demanding information, and I think regulators are waking up to this fact that the market needs a different kind of information nowadays. And I think with Biden, uh, the Biden Harris administration with Gary Gensler, you're going to see the SEC step up and say, okay, we're going to start to require companies to disclose more, as they do in Europe. We're probably going to see pension funds have to uh, talk about what they're doing on stakeholder ESG sustainability stuff and access to information. You know, I, I'm I, I think a word of caution because you want to make sure that you're putting the right information out there. It can't just be a free for all, so it has to be managed. I, I respect that, but I think you're going to see an inexorable trend towards greater disclosure of material environmental social and governance factors because it's in the market's be- market's best interest that that information be provided and, and let's let's use that as a bridge to talk about your just released diversity and equity tracker well we've seen so many companies over the last you know year um, and increasingly over the last few months you know step up with new policies new statements uh, new actions, let's call it, around uh, racial equity specifically and more broadly, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. It's very difficult to track these, right? They're, they're sort of anecdotal. They're coming at you from lots of places. And so it's very difficult to actually track what's happening, who's saying and doing what. So just tracking it, we felt make, no, making it easy for people to know what big companies are doing on, on those issues is valuable. And then secondly, what are companies actually doing? You know, not what they say they're doing, what are they actually doing? And and once you put this tracker up there, now we can begin to literally, as the as the name implies, track what companies are doing, track track progress, and bring 
more transparency, and then ultimately more accountability to the corporate corporate uh, world. So, so that's why we created this. Um, we measure companies that the 100 largest employers uh, in America, publicly traded, I should say, through de- uh, 22 data points across six dimensions of racial equity. So they are uh, anti-discrimination policies, pay equity, uh, racial and ethnic diversity data. The fourth is education and training. The fifth is response to mass incarceration, which is a you know, major element, which not actually that many people uh, know that much about in the corporate domain. Uh, and then supporting and investing in communities, uh, which is obviously one of our major stakeholder groups. So we have done sort of a, a dissection of, of what the 100 largest companies have done across uh, those uh, six elements. And the results are really fascinating. I mean, the major takeaway is that by and large, companies are pretty good at sort of, let's call it baseline table stakes disclosure. Like I have an anti-discrimination policy, you know, check. You know, if you don't have that, I mean, come on, you know, where are you? So, so yes, we see a lot of that. When it comes to actual action and sort of, you know, showing progress towards those goals. So releasing, for example, you know, uh, data that, that, that shows where you are on your journey on pay equity. It's not quite so good. We've seen only 31% of companies you know, sort of disclosing what they're doing on pay equity, you know, and, and, and we can talk a little bit about why that might be, but that's, so, so the data is all on justcapital.com. It's front and center. And we released it last week and we had a, again, a huge amount of interest and attention on that. And why would, I know that PNG um, did really well. It stood up really well. And you had a very interesting interview with, with Damon Jones, um, who's head of communications and advocacy. Uh, talk a little bit about their walk because they're not just talk. Well, when you look at um, actual devotion of dollars to, uh, you know, programs, communities, and commitments, when you look at what companies are doing in terms of uh, the personnel, like the, the, you know, the people who are, uh, you know, running the company, what, what programs they have in terms of advancing, you know, minorities in the workplace through to senior positions and board, board positions, Procter & Gamble has always done very well uh, in our rankings. and you know, in this particular issue, we we highlight them because, you know, they're one of the few companies that have made progress across all of those areas. You know, I would say the same about uh, two of the companies I would call out, JP Morgan uh, and Pepsi. You know, again, both companies that have made a lot of progress across all of the areas and have actually been more forthcoming about you know, the actions that they've taken as opposed to uh, statements of policy or, or, or otherwise. Now let's take a moment from our conversation with Martin Whitaker to a segue to our In the Know segment. If you care about social issues, you have to care about zoning. The Biden administration is off to a good start in housing, but there is much more that it could be doing. Housing segregation by race and class 
is a fountainhead of inequality in America. Yet for generations, politicians have been terrified to address the issue. That is why it is so significant that President Biden has proposed, as part of his American Jobs Act, a $5 billion race to the top competitive grants program to spur jurisdictions to eliminate exclusionary zoning and harmful land use practices. Mr. Biden would reward localities that voluntarily agree to jettison minimum lot sizes, mandatory parking requirements, and prohibitions on multifamily housing. The Biden administration is off to an important start, but over the course of his term, Mr. Biden should add sticks to the carrots he has already proposed. Although zoning may seem like a technical, bureaucratic, and decidedly local question, in reality, the issue relates directly to three grand themes that Joe Biden ran on in the 2020 campaign, racial justice, respect for working-class people, and national unity. Perhaps no single step would do more to advance these goals than tearing down the government-sponsored walls that keep Americans of different races and classes from living in the same communities, sharing the same public schools, and getting a chance to know one another across racial, economic, and political lines Economically discriminatory zoning policies, which say that you are not welcome in a community unless you can afford a single family house, sometimes on a large plot of land, are not part of a distant, disgraceful past. In fact, in most American cities, zoning laws prohibit the construction of relatively affordable homes, duplexes, triplexes, quads, and larger multifamily units on three-quarters of residential land. In the 2020 race, Mr. Biden said he was running to restore the soul of our nation, which has been damaged by President Donald Trump's embrace of racism. Removing exclusionary barriers that keep millions of Black and Hispanic people out of safe neighborhoods with strong schools is central in the goal of advancing racial justice. So let's keep an eye on how the removal of exclusionary zoning will take place in the months and years to come and help us to create a more just society. Let's return to Martin Whitaker, CEO of Just Capital, as he continues to talk about what does a just capitalism society look like? And at the end is a very simple comment about this journey. And he says, keep the faith. I would love to talk about um, social activism and the C-suite. There is so much happening, whether it's racial equity, whether it's climate, whether it's many, many issues, gender equity. What is a CEO to do today 
because they're getting hit up by their employees and their communities and, and such. So how do they make a decision where to truly be authentic in terms of their commitments? It begins with an assessment, an honest internal assessment of sort of what you what you stand for as a corporation, as a company, what you really believe are your priorities and what drives value. You know, at the end of the day, you have to believe that, to go back to your earlier question, you have to believe that uh, Procter & Gamble, you know, is has developed, you know, such strong positions on on anti-prison labor or, you know, their responses on, their, you know, their apprenticeship program because they believe that it really creates value for that, for their company. So, um, you know, that I think is the most important place to start. You have to have a framework that helps you see the big picture. And then you have to sort of figure out where you are on that journey. And oftentimes we found that companies don't really know where they are. They think they know where they are. As always, we tell this good story about PayPal and Dan Schulman, you know, doing a company survey on economic employee economic wellness because they thought it'd be a good news story. You know, they're a wealthy company, successful company. And it turns out that actually they had a lot of employees who were experiencing, you know, quite acute financial hardship. If they didn't, and that, that allowed them to actually do something about it. If they didn't know, they couldn't really do anything about it. And this is kind of the point. When we talk about corporate action on racial equity, you have to engage your black and brown employees. You have to understand what it is that you, what are your assumptions about where you are as, as opposed to where are you actually, and then begin to, to develop a program that creates value for all of your employees, for everybody, you know, where you, you, you think about, okay, you know, let's try to pinpoint, you know, the other thing we know, Carol, from our work is what we do is that, you know, not every, even Microsoft, not every company is perfect on all these issues, you know, they're good at some. They're not good at others. And, and like, you know, typically companies, especially leadership of companies, are highly competitive people, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of why you, go, why you do this and why they're successful. And, you know, they want to be better, continually wanting to improve and, and make better products and, and build a better workplace because you know that's going to make you successful. Um, that, that's a journey that never ends. And that's, that's what you have to understand that. So, so I think having that framework, asking honest questions, getting data, and then, you know, really trying to be uh, unafraid to admit, maybe you're not as good as you thought you were on some things, but here's what you're doing to improve. You know, we're in a world where I would say trust is in short supply in this world right now. You know, you give people you let people you let people make up their own minds whether or not you're you're good or not. All you can do is sort of like you can't say trust me I'm I'm a great company. It's no. You have to you have to you show, show it. You have to, yep. It's it's Walk show it. me. Right? right. So so that's putting out the data even if it doesn't look great but having a plan to actually improve. Like that's what we see leaders, you know, and and the top companies doing. They're always pushing to be better on just issues even if they're not great at them at any moment in time. Let's talk about some of these other just issues. 
We talked about racial equity. What about uh, the journey towards a $15 an hour minimum wage? How are companies doing? This is, we're going to call this a lightning round. We're not going to get into it deeply. I would say, you know, there, there, we, we see companies all over the place on that. There, there's, there are, there are companies that are very fearful to talk about wages. There's, you know, we've seen companies like Walmart, you know, just in the last six months, Walmart, Amazon, Costco, uh, all, all lifted wages, Target lifted wages. You could argue, <laughs> many people do why that is, but the truth is, you know, wages are, are going up and, um, I I'm I worry this becomes a political football, honestly, and and I I think it's not about that. I think it has to be about, you know, the dignity of work and trying to provide fair pay for a fair day's labor, and so I we we tend to talk in terms of livable wage, not fifteen dollar minimum wage, livable wage, you know, and should companies be able to provide their employees with a living wage if you if you're in the Fortune five hundred. Should you have any employee relying on government support to make ends meet? That, that's that's the real that's, question. I would say yeah. the pro- progress on that is probably not that good. In fact, we know it's not very good. Uh, okay, how about investing in black-owned businesses? We're seeing a, some big declarations in that field. Yeah, a lot of declarations. Again, this is partly why we stood up the tracker. You know, I would say we're at the beginning of that journey. I, I haven't seen the data on that, and I don't like to talk about things in general terms. I like to have the data. That's why, that's that's why I, you know, CEO of Just Capital. We try to use the data to tell the story. But I would say, knowing what we know, like getting the data, first of all, very very difficult. Um, we see a lot of interest from the public, in certainly in local uh, sourcing, and when we polled Americans overall, and when we when we oversampled on. Uh, black Americans sourcing from, you know, black-owned businesses was, you know, top or at, at or close to the top of the list. So, so I think I think it is a big issue for sure. I think it's something where we've I've seen a lot of interest anecdotally. Have I seen, you know, let's say systemic change in that regard? No, not yet. How about mental health? I mean, obviously, it's coming to the fore just explosively. Unfortunately, yeah, I would say we're. I would say we're early in that. I'm going to give us, I don't know, three or four out of 10. Okay. You know, I, I, I think I interviewed uh, CEO of Humana, Bruce Brossard, not so long ago, and or like towards the end of the pandemic. Tw- tw- it, was, it was towards the end of last year. And, you know, he talked about internally within their company what it was like. And externally, you know, obviously they're an insurance company. They see a lot of data on this. And I think we're in the early innings of of sort of mental health in the workplace, both as a risk and an opportunity. You know, I look at the work of a couple of our board members, um, Ariana Huffington springs to mind at Thrive Global. You know, you can't be healthily bodily if you're not healthily mentally. And I, I think we've all been through our own private pandemic in the last 12 months or more. And I think it's I think it's taken its toll. And we, we don't even know what the future of work looks like, right? No, no I don't, I'm not talking about robots coming from my job. I'm talking about, are we going back to work physically? So we're not done with this by any means. So no, I think we're early, early on in that. And um, what about voter suppression? There was that huge article, article, yeah. huge advertisement um, last week about democracy that was interestingly signed. Some companies that did sign a lot of individuals that signed. Yeah. What did you think of that? 
we found that most Americans want companies to speak up on social issues. They feel like they have a duty as sort of leaders in society to speak up. Now, when those issues become political, you know, highly political in nature, there's more risk. And I think that's what you're seeing. I think that's why you're seeing a sort of the, some of the complexity that you just alluded to come through. I, you know, we, we see companies absolutely want to commit to being leaders on a more equitable society in America. And you can't really do that when you've got a voting system where, you know, people are, uh, you know, excluded or somehow harder for them to vote. And so we know politically, again, like this is just such a, a, a hot potato. And I think right now, you know, we're, we're sort of, you know, we, we are trying to work through it internally to figure out, okay, I, in fact, we have a poll that I've just been editing this morning this, to, to really try and get to the heart of this is a what, what do most people really think companies should do, CEOs should do? You know, is it possible to be outspoken on, on issues surrounding voter suppression and voting rights and for it not to be political? Is it, is, it, is it just something that now you have to accept? You know, I, as a CEO of a company, I'm going to say I am opposed to this. And, you know, if you believe this is the right thing to do, then you don't want to, don't want to shop at my company or work at my company, then fine. You know, that's it. That's the price you pay. So I think we're going in that direction. I, 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 it was interesting when, um, when you saw companies like Coca-Cola and Delta had already made their positions clear, did not sign. You know, I look at that and I think, boy, this is this is going to be something that you know, just incredibly complex for for companies to navigate. You know, but 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 then again, you know, you got to back up and say, bottom line, you have to have a, a you know, in order to have a just society and a just mission, you know, you cannot do that if it only works for some people. You can't have a just economy without a just society. You know, you can't have uh, uh, an economy or a society where it works for some people, maybe only, maybe it works for most people. No, it's got to work for everybody. It's got to work for everybody. That's the bottom line. And so that's where I, I fear, you know, with something like this, which is a basic human right, becomes a political football, it sort of undermines the whole ideal of a society where everybody feels valued and everybody feels like they have a, a, a you know a, a part to play on all of these issues mental health voter suppression uh livable wage how important is it for companies to act versus talk there's a lot of talk but yeah. i think that there is a gap between the actions taken there is you know sometimes again when i'm in my more sort of philosophical modes i i understand you, you don't want to act indiscriminately, meaning, you know, you don't want to be acting unintentionally or thoughtlessly. And people are so quick to judge these days and so, so unwilling to, to forgive mistakes. And I think if companies act without real thought and intention about why they're acting and what are they, what, what are they doing, you know, the risk of blowback, risk of backfiring is, is high. And so I understand why some degree of caution is necessary, but 
I go back to the point I made earlier. It's not enough to just say the words. You've got to walk the talk. At some point, you have to turn words into deeds, and you have to show that that's what you're doing. So it's a it's a balance, and and I um you know I'm I'm not someone who thinks that companies should be uh, acting all the time on everything and fully transparent about everything. I, I I sort of feel as though it's a journey. Companies should be ultimately putting their money where their mouth is. What show is what you do. You say you're a just employer. You you have an anti-discrimination policy. Let's say, okay, great. That's a that's a great start. What exactly are you doing to show that it's working? Can you show the world? You know what what your mistakes have been. I mean, you know, having some humility about that actually is a sign of strength. You know, we tried this and it didn't work. Or, you know, we've seen this with supply chains and human rights issues, right? In the past, companies that were the most transparent often were the ones that came in with the most amount of criticism um, because the story wasn't always a good one. And so, that's that's the that's the balancing act. And I I understand it, but I, I'm afraid today. We live in a world where access to information, access to data is only going one way. And you've got to be out in front of it as a company. And you've got to, you've got to really sort of understand, okay, what do we need to put out there? How, how, are, you know, how does this fit with our overall strategy? And how do we do this in a way that helps us make progress, doesn't sort of undermine or undercut you know, our, 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 you know, the progress we have made or the intentions that we have? That, that's fantastic. And unfortunately, we're at the top of the hour. So, uh, th- you know, you're a g- great interview. Love it. So we're going to have you back in six months or a year to continue to see how Just Capital is moving along and how CEOs and how their actions are really having an impact. So I always give you the last word. So what would you like to share with our listeners um, after having an, ex- an amazing year that you've done and um, what companies really need to continue on their journey to be just keep the faith keep the faith this is this is a this is a uh, uh, uh you know you look back over history i'm not talking like over the last few years i'm talking about hundreds of years if not thousands of years of history we are in a moment where of great change and i think people have a lot more in common than otherwise a lot more unites us than divides us and I really believe that, Carol. I've I've traveled a lot. I've met a lot of people in my life, and I think the vast majority of people are good people and want similar things. To be honest with you, we want similar things. We want to we want to look after our families. We want to look after our communities. We want a better future. You know, that, 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 those are the basics. And and we might not get it right. And this is going to be it's messy and it's hard and it's you know emotional and it's tiring but it's also rewarding and ultimately you know you have to you have to have that positivity so that's that's sort of how i feel right now in this moment in time thank you martin um it's always a pleasure thank you to chat with you um you are sitting at such an important place in terms of helping to illuminate and to report on what companies are doing to be more just and how they're closing the gap with you know what Americans want, um, so we will have you back, of course, if you, if you'll come back. Um, and again, thank you very much. Thanks, Carol. My pleasure. I'll come back anytime you ask me to. 
we well, I'll look out because we, you will. <laughs> you make my job very, very easy. So thank you, Martin, and yeah. uh, stay well. All the best. You too.